Hello again, and welcome back to Pirated Radio. In this episode, I speak to a gentleman called Javier. I won't even attempt to pronounce the all of his name because I simply can't. Um, who is a lecturer and um, a designer who runs a sort of workshop educational uh, platform called Former XYZ. I'm going to discuss uh, a plethora of topics from education, influences, um, all different things, AI, as you could probably expect. It's a, it's a podcast in 2023. Um, and yeah, sorry, it's been a while since I last did one of these. I've been a little bit busy, hoping to do some more, sort of more regularly. And um, yeah, pretty much it. Um, enjoy. people listening that maybe don't know yourself can you give them a bit of a rundown as to who you are and what you do uh my name is javier viramontes i am a typographer graphic designer and educator and i run a practice called format.xyz and format is a platform that allows people to create things for both of uh, subjective and objective value which really means that um and I think it goes back into some of your other questions is I never liked sending invoices to people or being that person as an independent designer. So I wanted a platform to kind of take my name out of the equation. Um, and I've just enjoyed working with people more so than having my name be attached to something. So um, format can be a curatorial endeavor, a commercial endeavor, an artistic endeavor. So anything really. I think I think it's more of a thing. I spoke to a few different people on the podcast with it now, and I've mentioned uh, Virgil Abloh with a big kind of pioneer um, about kind of these, this idea of just molding all of the different disciplines into just one big, you know, spaghetti mess thing. And I think that's the way that the industry is going in a way. Everybody kind of picks up everything now, don't they? Everybody does a bit of code or they do a bit of web design or they do a bit of visual stuff or whatever, you know. There is, there are no, I think standards are going to go in a way. I hope, I hope education, it's hard to standardize that in, in, in a way in which universities can kind of manage that. Cause I think they're still, I mean, I don't operate that way. And I, I always hear about uh, briefs about a client, designer relationships and i've always thought those can change quite a bit so how do you teach that i don't know yeah yeah jumping back to the questions um so if you go back to rolling it back even before everything uh, when did things get started for yourself uh that's a great question and i think this all started because i was a, a very strange uh, child um in the sense that i would just stare at things and just listen and hear. Um, and I remember staring at a particular logo. It was for uh, JC Penny. Uh, if you are aware, it's designed. It was designed by Massimo Vignelli. and it's not a particularly striking logo whatsoever. It's just Helvetica. But um, you know, you just look at how the letter forms curve, how they end, the the finality of it all. 
Um, and I was just, I remember staring at it. Um, my father was also a math professor. So he, I think, must have been late 70s, early 80s books, math books. They had this modernist kind of aesthetic to them. And I think I remember this yellow and black one. Um, you know, lots of negative space, some geometric shapes. And I think that those kinds of visuals just kind of permeated in my brain somewhere. Um, but then really um, this, the love for typography and uh, started with, I'm not sure if you know what a Barnes and Noble is. Um, I've heard of it vaguely. It's a book retailer. Yeah. Like a bookstore, commercialized bookstore. Uh, and it, you know, they hit you with, um, a holistic aesthetic experience if, if you if i were to describe it and and in fact they make fun of it in this movie called you've got mail uh it's not barnes and noble but it's i think fox books and they were talking about the destruction of small businesses small bookstores and their whole trick was to ca- get them with the smell of their cappuccino uh you know but for a smaller city like mine um, I think that kind of place, a big commercial bookstore, was one of the few places to get any sense of culture. So um, my brother brought a calligraphy kit from Barnes & Noble. So, you know, you have your retail space, and at the very end, you have a bunch of knickknacks as you wait in line to pay. And, you know, that you have like a little Zen Garden kit uh, cards and you know one of them was a calligraphy kit and so I remember being very curious by it and by the time I was in middle school uh, high school actually uh, again I'm not a very talkative person you know you get to an age where you have to invite women to dances that's part of the ritualized school experience and I knew I wasn't particularly athletic or, you know, of that sort. So I remember figuring out a way to, uh, you know, talk to this w- one girl. And so she, I was like, well, I'm going to learn calligraphy and I'm going to write her um, a letter. You know, it's a little cringy if you, if you, you know, speak about it now. But I do remember being extremely fascinated by uh, the shapes. Uh, I, I was learning off of this book by a gentleman named David Harris, The Art of Calligraphy, who's actually British. And uh, I was, you know, most people are familiar with black letter, right? Um, but there was this particular one, uh, Fraktur, which is sort of the German version of it. Um, and I was, I remember just in one the stroke of a pen of a of your hand you could create a very elegant shape and out of nothing there is meaning and i was just remember i remember just being fascinated by that, that moment and so i think you know i i don't remember the <laughs> can't remember the outcome of that letter but i do remember the love for the for the letter forms and that's how it started really quite poetic in a way isn't it? 
letters are certainly poetic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, jumping forward as far as I understand, and this is from just your LinkedIn. Um, you studied at the University of Texas at Austin. Do you have any any sort of formative memories from your education at all that began to shape you as a designer? Oh, there are so many uh, tied to that uh, university. Um, it is um, they call it the Ivy League of of public universities. Ivy League being these, you know, very pri- uh, the private schools in in the U.S. Um, and um, it has the tenth biggest library system in the world, the University of Texas, and <clears throat> I think that came about through just the sheer amount of wealth um, that is in that particular state in the U S both in oil and other things. So it's a, it's a pretty well-funded institution, um, which, you know, I think for somebody who comes from West Texas, um, the desert, um, it was just impressive in all sorts of regards. And um, one of the things I particularly enjoyed was going to the library, the fine arts library. And just, yeah, I think this is pre um, the internet being a resource for that everybody uses. I think Tumblr was just beginning to be a huge thing. And so you just go walk around. And I remember finding uh, a book by Joseph Mueller Brockman, uh, Grid Systems. And I remember uh, the the program was it was run by a set of amazing faculty, but they were all uh, of the postmodern persuasion. Uh, they had gone to Cranbrook. Um, you know, deconstruction was a huge thing, and it's a it's a one they're wonderful tools. But I remember being entirely confused by why I was why I needed to destroy everything. And how to put it back together. They don't teach you how to put things back together. Um, maybe they intend you to, but I, I feel like from a pedagogical point of view, that's not very well communicated. And so I remember just looking at the book and somewhat absorbing something from it. I didn't need to look at, you know, because it, that book is made at a time when people were setting things by hand. And so it's, it's high, very highly technical. But just seeing the outcome of it was just entirely powerful. Uh, also, the school is, um, and this is sort of where um, my trajectory as a type designer kind of started, was the Rob Roy Kelly wood type collection. Uh, Rob Roy Kelly was a very um, important design educator. Um, I think he was he, he started design pedagogy in the u.s in, in many ways and i think he he brought in a, a, a lot of the modernist designers from europe and established what how design academia would run but anyways he was a collector of a lot of things uh, amongst them was wood type um and so he I don't think he was part of the university, but his wood type collection ended up in um, one of the uh, libraries within the university, University of Texas. And I believe they were going to be thrown away. Um, and, but some 
brilliant educator decided not to, just to take him from that one particular uh, library. And so it became part of the design department. Uh, it has its own room. Um, at the time, it was being... Um, when I was there, it was uh, under the custody of uh, a gentleman named David Shields, which is an amazing scholar and design educator. And so I remember going to school or looking at the website, I might I forget what it was, and just having the desire to look at these very strange letter forms. And it, the the wood type is from the 19th century, which um, has all these, you know, very odd decisions. You know, these were type that were made to scream for attention, right? And so when you're used to type from a computer, that's all kind of vanilla, very demure. Um, seeing such odd, funny decisions was just kind of a fresh of breath there. It was like seeing foreign writing, like a Martian's writing. And uh, the beautiful thing about this collection was that anybody could use it. Right, you could just express interest, and um, you would would be able to go and print something from movable type. So that um, is kind of what I've been trying to replicate. That experience of printing something uh, is, you know, you can't find a wood type collection in every university in the entire U.S. in all uh, all of the U.S. So you know, it's it's something that I think it's very important it's tactile it's sensory you smell it you see it you feel it you reflect on it and it becomes a very holistic experience uh, i was going to follow up on that but you've kind of answered it but i i think a, a question that's come to mind to me is you know you mentioned sort of having these spaces to be able to look at these sort of artifacts of design and they're sort of they're few and far between aren't they in the way do you think that's something that may get lost go even more going forwards where we'll sort of lose all of the, you know, old wood type and the old mechanisms and different things. You know, there are, there, there's never anything absolute in the sense that craft will be lost or that AI will take over the world. Um, and I think, I'm not sure it was you, but I, I, I think I was saying that um, there are as many typefaces as there are people in this world right so if somebody d wants to make design with their hands there'll be space for it if somebody wants to use ai for design there'll be the space for it certainly some kinds of design will be incentivized by industry by the schools but um, there's always the niche aspect of it you know i think we have such a pluralistic society these days that i think you could make a career out of doing things by hand uh, one great example is daffy coon who you know it's like i'm just at, in awe of his practice um uh, and you know, there's there's a huge public for it. And, you know, if when when something moves towards this particular direction, you will see the difference and desire the handmade. You know, William Morris 
you know, he was responding to the industrial revolution, you know, and the arts and crafts movement was born. And so, you know, there's a reaction, there's a reaction. There isn't, there is no complete take. You know, people still listen to records, vinyl records, right? That hasn't gone away. Um, but yeah. And when it's funny enough, like I, I was listening to this AI uh, fiction of a song. It was, it's like, it was a biggie song sung by Kanye West. And it was quite convincing. And, you know, I feel like there's room for that too, you know? So yeah, jumping forward, getting back on sort of the timeline now, jumping forward and jumping past uh, when you graduated. And you mentioned that you you founded your own practice. You, I believe you had a couple of different jobs, and then eventually you founded your own practice uh, for my X Y Z. And you mentioned it a little bit. And I think I think I am correct in this. When I was looking at your website and sort of reading through different things, there's, there seems like there's two goals with it. Ultimately, educating people, and you did touch on it, but sort of democratizing design of sorts and giving it out to the people. You know, bringing it down some foot of the pedestal almost, and then giving it out to the masses a little bit. Um, can you expand on that a little bit more at all? Or? Yeah, I mean, um, the, the U.S. is a massive place. Um, so certain places don't have access to certain things. Um, the socioeconomic spectrum is as is, is huge as is the country. So um, I remember in El Paso, um, Texas, it was far west between... Mexico, Texas, and New Mexico. So geographically, if you can put those th- three things together. Maybe Google that, whoever's listening to this. Um, there isn't much in the sense of uh, culture, and I think bookstores were a huge um, uh, aspect to getting um, culture. Again, the, the internet doesn't exist at this point. It, it does, but it's not what it is today. And so um, being in a physical space with um, books about painting, about contemporary painting, uh, it was just like being on a psychedelic trip almost. Um, And so not having access to something while hungering for it was this um, crazy thing to me. Uh, When I moved to New York, I, I went to the Type of Cooper program to study type design. Um, they have this uh, place called Lubellin Archive, which has is a wonderful collection of uh, typographic ephemera. Um, and I remember just being so in awe of all the things that I didn't get in undergrad, all the reference, all the modernist design, and that they they that collection had it all. Um, that was another one of those huge moments uh, where it was. I wish everybody had that experience, you know? So I think format uh, came um, after my life in advertising and tech. Um, And it was, I think my desire was to replicate these very important experiences that I had with objects. Um, And so um, one of the first things we did as format, it was my, Myself and my then partner, uh, Karina Eckmeyer, we set up this um, letterpress operation in the hallway of our Brooklyn apartment. 
if you can picture these New York apartments, they're not very big. You know, you might be deluded by Friends, perhaps the show, the sitcom, but in reality, these places are very tiny. Uh, and so, um, it's funny that people live in these places, these very compact living situations. Yet, you go to the Hauser and Worth Gallery or you know some the MoMA Guggenheim, and just the world is is there. Um, and it's a huge contrast. So I always, I think the impetus was to bring some of that, uh, artistic experience into the, my home, uh, our hallway. And so what we would do is, um, cook for people while they came. And so the, the, the running joke, the serious, but running joke was that it was the shortest residency in the US. So in the span of an evening, uh, you had access to a letterpress, uh, a small procs and table saw, which is used for model making, um, slabs of maple, um, pieces of uh, acrylic. And so in within the span of a cooked meal, you would make a print. Um, but it turned out that <laughs> we also made them a drink. Um, and this was, this, this menu was designed for the person. Um, so we ended up having a really fun experience doing that. Uh, and I think one of the most, one of the greatest things that I observed was everybody's workflow. You know, you're put into this high pressure, uh, microcosm that's phys both physically and formally limiting. And so everybody took the challenge very differently. Um, and so that was a, a, a super interesting um, behavioral observation, ethnographic observation. Um, so out of that, um, I think format developed into this platform to help people um, kind of create their vision. Right. So, because you know, it's it's not you know, it starts becoming about one yourself. You know, like you have to put your name out there. You have to schmooze. It's just you know, things for an introverted person are can be quite uh, tiring. Uh, so the goal was to uh, put the attention on somebody else, on on, on the people you're collaborating with, and there are, all of these collaborations have been extremely intimate. Um, and that's why I think I mentioned earlier uh, in the interview is that it's human activity. You know, I, I know you've had an amazing cast of people in your podcast. But growing up, I was always curious about what do these people do when they're not being these big designers? Uh, I forget what artist. Uh, I think Paul Clay but I'm not sure. I forget. Uh, he was, you know, we don't know the lot, like the specifics of, for example, Van Gogh or Monet, but I think I'm, I'm, butch I'm somebody's going to know who it was. Uh, he kept very detailed record of his purchases. Like he, he like had a note of how much a pencil cost him, you know, and I found that to be so fascinating, but anyways, um, in the gr grandiosity of these people's lives, 
I think you end up losing the individual, who they are, their flaws. So um, I, I like to work in that scale and they're very intimate. So yeah, sort of jumping forward but backward at the same time, I guess. Um, you obviously mentioned that you've been a lecturer for a number of years now. What got you into education to begin with? Um, my father, I think I didn't plan for it, but um, there are four generations of educators in my family. So that would be my great-grandfather. Um, but anyways, I remember having a conversation with one of my dear undergrad friends uh, named Aham Growey. Um, and I think he's at Yale at the moment. But he uh, was teaching at the University of New Haven um, in Connecticut. And we had a com- he was about to get it, go to their MFA program. And he told me, hey, I'm leaving. I know you've expressed a desire to teach. Would you want to teach a course? And um, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and so he put me in touch with somebody, and that's how it started. Uh, which, was, it's, you know, pedagogy is super interesting because, you know, that's where you get to – I think it's more about human beings and their problems, mental problems, than it is about design. Which, if you think about it, that's a client relationship, right? It's about, it's not really the design itself, but about the person who you're trying to sell this to. And so, I don't know, I'm, I'm super fascinated by that. Would you dive into sort of, I guess what you're talking about in a way, psychology? Would you, would you dive into that more specific thing in itself in the future, maybe, or anything like that? Well, that's what format does a lot is um, is whatever collaboration um, format undertakes, uh, you have to understand the psychology of the person, what they want, what they're trying to create. Um, and I, again, I don't want to put it in a formula, right? Because I think that takes the humanity out of it. It takes out the the mystery of, of people. Um, so just having a friendship really, it's, you know, I, I, you know, if you think about all these modernist painters, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure Van Gogh was a recluse, you know, he wasn't trying to, I don't think he was particularly good at schmoozing or, you know, working the gallery system. He was just going about his life. Uh, and you know maybe it drove him to to his end, but that's why you have such a wonderful legacy. He was just being human. Do you want to say um, you mentioned art a few times? Do you have like a favorite artist painting? You know what I mean? Oh my goodness, uh, so many! But I think Goya um, is a, this is the ultimate painter. Um, and you know it's you have the um, what do you call it? A bit the benefactor system, you know, in in Europe um, through huge institutions, and that you know it, that's really wonderful. It's created some of the most 
lasting ways of thinking. Um, but I think Goya kind of was one of the biggest cracks in that system. And I'm not advocating for the destruction of any particular system, but um, you could see his commentary very well. Um, I think there's this, there's many instances where I think his uh, follies, uh, his print series, um, you you just see this very mis- ambiguous commentary on society and art. And I don't think it was so blatant. Uh, before before him i'm sure there is i'm not an art historian but um you could really see the transformation and and then uh, i in the prada museum you have his uh the this dark paintings uh, those are extremely powerful it's just there's a darkness to it there's a the masterful treatment of paint that you just kind of envelop yourself and then the Prado did a wonderful job putting that room together where those paintings are oh. um jumping away from art and back to sort of education i assume you've looked at a lot of different student portfolios while you're being educated and um, what do you think makes a good portfolio for yourself um i think that will depend on it's a very big question uh certainly Industry wants uh, certain things. Uh, right now, if you need a job, it's a UI UX job. Um, so schools do a wonderful job at doing that. You know, they churn out projects left and right. You know, fake clients or whatnot. But I've done these review events. Uh, I remember being at the University of Connecticut for AIGA's uh, portfolio review. Uh, And the first time I did it, a student came up to me and he had the most wonderful portfolio. You know, meticulously executed, beautiful typography. um, Just, you know, he could be working anywhere and I would have been fooled. Then the next student comes in and it's the same thing. Like, oh, this is amazing, awesome. You know, they're, I don't know what they're feeding these kids. Like, it's awesome. Third, it's the same thing. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Uh, And then it switches to another school, another university. And again, it's the same thing. It's like, this is a magnificent portfolio, brilliant concepts. But it's the same project, the same line of thinking, uh, dozens of times. And so I think the best work, the best portfolios are those that don't have school as kind of their uh, center. Um, Portfolios that have um, real curiosity, right? Where it's not about this corporate plain sign system. It's, I don't know, it's about some particular idiosyncratic observation that they made or just when students freelance and they put that in their portfolio i think that's wildly fascinating and that's how i started my career was uh, not even for uh, my design work but it was because 
I met my then um, chief creative officer, Sergio Alcocer, uh, at a con- at a Joanna Newsom concert. And I had some watercolors that I was going to give to Joanna Newsom. And he uh, he was a lover of music and I was a lover of art and music. And so I I think that little gesture was more powerful than any concept in advertising could have been. So it's the human element, right? I've heard that. I've heard that a few times when I've asked people. It's a lot more... And it's a lot more blunt way of putting it, but it's sort of like you could be the best designer in the world, but and it's a kind of different to what you're saying. But if you're a dickhead, you're just a dickhead, aren't you? Ultimately, you could you could be Polish here, or you could be you know whoever you want. But if you just kind of you're a dickhead, you just we do you don't want to work with dickheads, do you? Ultimately, so yeah, and I think certain places can foment some of that, and you'll have a lot of magnificent work come out of a city. But in the end, they're just dicks, you know. <laughs> do you think? Do you think you can see through sort of? Because I think you can put on a facade very easily with that kind of thing, and I think it's a lot of the time you can kind of see through it. Do you think? You, do you think it's easy to see through things like that in sort of an educator or somebody that's sort of employing for industry at all? Well, when you have a conversation with people, you quickly realize what they're interested in. Or what they know and what they don't know. And we're all ignorant in whatever regard. But it's how you manage the exchange of information that, you know, really gives you an understanding of a person, of what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, one of the biggest shocks in my life was uh, coming from this magnificent university and moving to New York. And I remember every design person that I met came off of a portfolio-based school. Um, and I just couldn't have any authentic conversation about design, art, uh, the world, politics, poetry. You know, I think there's that quote by Experimental Jet Set from their uh, monograph, um, the graph, monographic design comes from the intersection of poetry, politics, uh, art, and technology. Uh, so I feel like, um, yeah, you might have an amazing portfolio, but if you've never watched a film, then I don't know. It just seems a little empty. I don't know if I answered that question well. No, I think you did. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have this thing that I ask every person on the podcast. Now, I didn't at first, and then I sort of brought it in as, as it went on a little bit, and I call it the Hall of Fame. Um, and essentially the question of, uh, if you're in a lift, I don't know why it's a lift, but let's imagine we're in a lift, and I ask you if there's one thing that I can go away from this lift and research and look up on the internet or in books or whatever, um, that has been sort of the real heartbeat of your own career that sort of launched you into what you are today. What do you think that would be for yourself? Uh, lack of access to things. Uh, that I, I didn't really have a good answer, but I think based on our conversation, um, I think if, you know evolution happens when um, there is a strain in the resources of a particular group. Um, and so I, I think limitation, 
I, I don't know how you recreate that for for a student for other people but I think that really forces you to contend with um, what you have and what what you can make if you have access to everything then you really don't have much oh you don't have a voice um, and I, I think that's something I've looked at with students nowadays is um, I've been working with this really amazing um, designer uh, student and um, she makes uh, the awesome, super awesome videos um, and it's been interesting to learn about a demographic that has no connection to old media and old media I don't know how old you are uh but um you know from from vhs to dvd from vhs to what's now uh how we absorb media there's like a huge rift you know uh and so a lot of the references that you see for these tiktok trends music choices come from film uh most recently wes anderson right um and though you don't necessarily need a reference or understand a reference to create great work uh, as the natural hist I'm not a historian, but I like history a lot. Uh, it kind of saddens me that people will not have those access or knowledge about the past, but that's with everything, you know? Um, I was just recently thinking about, uh well Pugin, the the British uh, architect. Um how he was yearning for the Gothic and he looked at the Victorian with such disdain, you know, and like could we build with that much greatness, with that much spirit again? Probably not. Because certainly and he was right, it was, it's, a, it's a reflection of a society and its values but um you know things change so yeah we have touched on this a little bit but um when we first began talking it was on the back of the joseph neil brockman podcast that i did a little while ago because you were the person that got the lecture uploaded to youtube uh, originally that i ripped off in a sense for the for the podcast and again if i don't know another contacted yourself <laughs> um but yeah, we had we had sort of little bits of conversations now on Instagram, sort of things about sort of the future of the industry. And I wanted to ask what you think. Where 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 are things going to go from here? I mean, first of all, I want to say, um, an amazing job with that podcast. Um, that is exactly what these tools are good for. Uh, sparking the imagination. That that's why I even looked for this audio record, this video recording. Uh, he, Joseph Miller Brockman died in 1996, right? And you have uh, recordings of um, Paul Rand. You have recordings of Saul Bass. You have recordings of all, all the greats. But it's like there is no, or at least maybe there are now. I'm not sure. I don't think there are um, any interviews with Joseph Miller Brockman. And I think that speaks to his, who he was. I don't think he was such a super flashy guy. Maybe he had a big ego, but not 
don't know. Some some somebody can answer this better. But anyways, um, we were talking about how these people are in real life, what makes them who they are. Um, and so I wanted to answer that question. Um, and, you know, if I were a kid just starting to learn about graphic design and I saw Joseph Mueller Brockman's grid systems, the podcast you have now is like, would have been such a helpful tool. You know, I, I would have just been so curious by it. And so again, we shouldn't treat these technologies Uh, with fear uh, they will certainly displace us in many ways but i think humans can still make or do things that computers can't you know i worked at a company where we try to replicate uh, human handwriting uh, robotically and it was just so hard You know, like you, you don't really think of the mechanics of writing as being that important or the mechanics of making a note for somebody as being anything to think about or break down. But um, it was so hard for these machines to accomplish this. Um, and you still have, you know, the human body is a machine design that's been designed to do everything and it's had millions of years to get to this point um and i still think um we can do more than machines different different things you know and all those all, all those ai things are a result of what's out there already so you're not in essence creating anything new You're just remixing things. I think. I think as well, touching on what you mentioned about kind of, you know, sort of the amalgamation of all the different arts and cultures and things. I don't think an AI would ever be able to get that. I don't think they'd be able to appreciate like, you know, a, a piece of music in the way that a human can, you know, and sort of listen to it and take away from it and such and such. And you know, maybe you've got a link from, as you said, a, a Wes Anderson film, and then you connect it to a piece of music and you spawn a design from that. Can AI do that? I don't know. Will it ever be able to do that? Again, I don't know. I don't think it will, but who knows? <laughs> you know, and you you say this, uh, in, in, in the end, it's people putting these prompts in the computer. Uh, it's the software and the engineer who wrote the code to make this happen. So, so maybe the artists are not Or the designers are not us, but, you know, uh, an, uh, a computer engineer. You know, they're the artists now. And so I think the Dutch um, do this very well. I think Python was invented or written by a, a gentleman whose brother is a huge person in the type industry. Um, and so I, I think more and more code should be included in education and in design uh, but again yeah it's, it's it's humans doing the work yeah when i talk to my lecturer is quite interested in the, the, the guy that runs my university course well he runs the undergraduate and not the postgraduate but um his name's john and and he 
I think you see sort of the internet and AI and everything. It's quite a threat to education. Um, would you see it as the opposite? Then? You, do you see it as kind of a an aid almost? Um, again, it's it's about how people will perceive it and what they do with it. Um, it dis again, it technology displaces people. So oh, there's a lot of effort put into playing the academia game. Um, and I think I, we have to differentiate between the kinds of institutions that teach design. There's a wide breadth of different kinds of approaches to design education. All of them have a place and a time. Uh, I am just, I'm par speaking particularly about this R research R one school that, that I work at, um, where you know it's still tied to the sciences, right? That's like that their main way of operating, and I think this sort of institution, um, the way it works, it functions around these formats, and so as to as you know inflation goes up as the coins instability war happens like people are not going to have the opportunity to learn uh, especially in the US right by dishing out thousands of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars on a degree um and it'll be in these kinds of places now i i feel like you could adopt and learn a lot from platforms open source platforms like this and i think that's where format is right now is in creating these open source platforms for people right and you to the amount of detail that an archive or a platform has that's really up to the creator of that platform um recently i was made aware of this uh, site called the people's archive which holds um, like alternate design histories, right? Um, which is super interesting. Uh, the Lubellin Center has flat file, which was, I think they've stopped doing it, but it was an effort to bring some of their archive to a bigger audience. Um, and again, how many people will go to New York, go to this tiny room and this institution and look at Joseph Mueller Brockman's Helvetica type specimen. A handful. But how many people will listen to your podcast uh, and hear Joseph Mueller Brockman speak? You know, hundreds of, of people. Will. So it's about reach, it's about detail, it's about intention. Yeah, so beginning to sort of round off um, and again, I asked all my guests the same question, sort of leaning out of the podcast. But if you could go back in time and give yourself, it's really cliche, but if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice um, when you first got started, knowing what you know now, what would that be for yourself? Uh, I would say watch movies. And maybe we can't... Movies today are different than... They're still great movies, but what is readily available is maybe different. But from a piece of graphic design, as a uh, for a, as a piece of communication, a movie is a great analogy to graphic design. 
there's a beginning and there's an end there's a middle there's things that need to be communicated things that don't need to be communicated there are visual images there are words um and there are other mediums involved right um music special effects technology uh and so um especially today now it's it's like the 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 moving poster is is becoming a, quite a thing um the the reels on instagram or tiktok or whatever platform has copied that format um is is becoming a, a very important thing for communication so but i i think when you have the time budget liberty of a great film like all all those ingredients put together into one object um there's a lot that you can learn from it i would say watch stanley kubrick um yeah and then super 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 lastly where can people find yourself online um you can go to instagram which has become kind of the my main repository of work just because it's super quick and immediate uh, uh format underscore xyz uh, you can also go to www.format.xyz and you can download uh, the plans for a diy letterpress that's what's taken over my personal site now that's all good then Hello. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. How do I even actually? I can't remember. It's been that long. Um, yeah, if you want to find myself online, I'm Parity Material. Everywhere you can find me. Sounds like a challenge of some sort. Um, yeah. Um, and I will see you next time. Whether that'll be in a month or six, I don't know. See ya.